The scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A lot of things sliding around here. It's properly placed. You know, when I start uh, thinking about a sermon, I am never really sure where the Spirit is going to lead me, which I think is in some ways a good thing. Um, But a bunch of things probably have informed this morning's reflections. Conversations that date back several weeks and conversation this week with my good friend Doug and conversation last night with Rebecca and Zach. Question of how do we draw this thing we call faith closer? How do we draw it? 
closer. So that it somehow means more. And people see it. So here we go. But not without these. People often ask me, what is the primary goal of a healthy church? Is it to create a dynamic or inspiring worship experience every Sunday morning? Is it to create a stronger Sunday school program? Is it to have more small groups, more gatherings? And I guess on any given day, I I don't know, I might find myself saying yes to any of those questions. But when I get honest with myself, none of them capture what I consider to be the primary objective of church. And that would be this, to create a community and a culture that clearly makes visible what we say we believe. A culture, a community that clearly makes visible what we say we believe. Which is to say, I don't want us primarily to be defined by our worship, our Sunday school, or any other program offering. I would want us to be defined by our attitudes and our actions. When people see us, I would want them to see an honest people. A positive people, a grateful people, a forgiving people. And so I find myself asking myself and wondering if you asked yourself, is that what people would see when they see you? Is that what people would see when they see you? There's a lot of critics of the church. And a lot of those critics would say something like this. The church has lost its influence and its power because there is no shared understanding or shared commitment to a Christian way of life. One wing of the church believes the central issues are abortion and homosexuality. Another wing of the church believes that it's all about good theology or sound doctrine. Every single study suggests that young people look at us like we are painfully out of touch and misguided. And I think if Jesus walked in the door, let's just imagine for a second Jesus walking in the door, he would say the same thing. What are you doing here? What are you up to here? What are you doing? I didn't sacrifice my life 
to talk about theology. I didn't sacrifice my life for us to muse on good doctrine. I spent all my time, I spent all my time talking about a way of life that would change you and change the world if we gave ourselves over to its practice. What do people see when they see us? Is it grace? Is it gratitude? Is it positivity? Is it a willingness to forgive? If not, how come? So today I want to revisit a theme that I actually talked about just a month ago, but it still sits with me. One of the most basic and central gifts of the Christian message And Jesus proclaims it again and again that it is God's first and it is God's most fundamental offering. You are forgiven. And it isn't a theological proposition. I think it's first and foremost a a kind of existential proposition. It's really first and foremost this, this great invitation for each one of us to do honest self-reflection. It's a a chance for us to maybe look at our own lack of clarity. That keeps coming up for me too. When I'm not clear about what I believe and what's really, really important to me, I, I lose sight of it like really quickly. And then maybe it's an invitation for us to look at the resistance that I think, well, I'm only going to speak for me, (laughs) the resistance to speaking the truth about our own individual lives. And I'll say this, I I confess this, I, I am guilty of what I would call deflection and resistance. There's a part of me that wants to keep telling myself that I don't need forgiveness as a starting point. I'm not a sinner or I'm not that bad of a sinner or I haven't done anything really terrible lately. I tell myself also that I'm not, you know, significantly guilty of hypocrisy. But you see, I am. Like I am. Like I say, you know, it would be on a short list on the refrigerator. I say I believe in gratitude, but I'm not that grateful. I say that I'm a generous person, (laughs) but when I have a chance to really be generous, when I have a chance to give twice as much as I thought I should give to somebody or to some cause, I am not that generous. 
I say that I'm tolerant. I say that I'm compassionate. But I don't really consistently practice those baseline convictions with the people who annoy me, with the people with whom I disagree, certainly not the people who have hurt me in some way or I think have hurt me in some way. So what's that about? Why why would Carter say to himself, I'm not that hypocritical, so I actually don't need forgiveness as a starting point. And my confusion, I think, on this truth presents a conundrum. Because I'm sure that God wants me and each one of us to actually be free of confusion and guilt. Free each day, maybe even each morning, to receive this gift, the gift of a fresh start. Free to close the gap between what I say I believe, what I say is really important, and what I do. But I go back to this. I think freedom begins with honesty and truth-telling. It begins with Carter saying to Carter's self, I need this gift. And truly believing that the world needs this gift. That the future, you know, the fabric of the community and the fabric of society needs this. So I don't know. I meandered into this sermon. I meandered into this big topic. And what has come to me again and again is that I want to be free of my own minimizing and suppressing, my own deflection and resistance. I want to be free of denial so that I can give this gift away. Some of you may know Tim Keller, fairly well-known pastor in New York City. And he's written what I thought was an incredible article called The Fading of Forgiveness. And if you're even a little bit interested in the title or intrigued by the title, I I would encourage you to go find that later today. So I've, I've, I've taken some pieces from this that I want to share with you that I, I think are pretty interesting commentary on forgiveness. And whether you agree or disagree, I don't really care. I just hope it provokes you, which is what a good sermon should do, to think and to question where you might land on these things. Here's what he says. Our culture has taken a strange inward turn. While many other cultures have stressed the importance of community, 
and the need to forge a personal identity that negotiates and aligns with the common good, modernity stresses looking inward to forge one's own identity based on our desires. And then moving outward to demand that society honors our individual identity and interests. He continues, this therapeutic turn is perhaps the greatest reason that we as a culture have such impoverished temporary understandings understandings and practices of forgiveness. Let me just figure out who I am. (laughs) Let me just do that. without any other reference point, without any other big body of wisdom that has held communities together from the beginning of time. And then he says, if all that matters is individual autonomy, then forgiveness and reconciliation, which are designed to foster and maintain community, are really of little importance. The therapeutic culture has converted us into a collection of self-actualizers whose primary concern is to get respect and affirm one's identity. It's no wonder that this culture quickly becomes littered with an enormous number of broken and irreparable relationships. As Emil Durkheim argued, we must reclaim conscience collective. Conscience, you know, that thing that precedes culture. A set of shared moral norms that bind us together and are grounded in something sacred. A set of values that are non-negotiable to be held and defended whatever the cost. Like, like, I'm going to be generous no matter the cost. I'm going to be compassionate no matter the cost. Like, I'm going to find a way to forgive no matter the cost. Forgiving people endure suffering for a greater good. So I find myself asking, again, a lot of this is just Carter talking to Carter. What if forgiveness actually became one of those sacred and non-negotiable moral norms held and defended whatever the cost And here's what I believe on the deepest level that Jesus wanted us to receive and take in this extraordinary gift of God so we could fight resistance and pay it forward. So I'm musing on this and I remembered this 
incident that I hadn't remembered for a long time. It was at a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's a church that I attended for a while right when I finished seminary. Made me think of you, Bonnie. Not far from where you grew up. But here's, here, here's the story. In this church, a, a member had been accused and found guilty of sexual harassment. And in the workplace, this is, this, this is no small sin, and it shouldn't be. And the member had been fired by his employer and then also had been fired as a, as a deacon of the church, which was, of course, the right decision. But then the member had actually gone into a residential program to address the trauma that had brought on these issues. And then the member went on to uh, spend a year in an intensive outpatient program to kind of find his way forward in a healthier way. So around two years into his recovery, the pastor, great guy, recommended a Sunday morning service of forgiveness and reconciliation. Pretty much for this man. And you can't believe how much controversy that created. I mean, you can't believe it. I mean, a huge number of people in the church were so opposed to this kind of public ritual and its content. In subtle and not so subtle ways, people saw it as a display of unacceptable acceptance, of letting the perpetrator off the hook, of condoning terrible and horrific behavior. But it happened anyway. And I'll never forget it. It was like one of the most moving worship services I was ever a part of. And here's the way it started. An African-American woman stood up and said this. As Christians, you and I must find the strength to strive to give up the desire to get even. To forgive is to give the perpetrator a gift they do not in any way deserve. Because you have gotten that gift. And then she goes on, she says, but friends, Christians in community are never to give up on one another. Never give up on a relationship. Never write off another believer and say you won't have anything to do with them. We must never tire of forgiving and seeking to repair relationships. That black lady was amazing. Really, really amazing. People of faith are able to suffer for a greater good. Always. I was one of the 
two or three most powerful worship services that I, I have ever been a part of. So Peter approached Jesus and he says, how many times must I forgive a person before I give up on them? Should I do that seven times? Jesus says, no, Peter, nope, nope. Do it 70 times seven. And I just take it, friends, as a message for each one of us. Because forgiveness does always begin with us. I hope you'll forgive yourselves. I'm trying to forgive myself for the 10,000 mistakes I've made in my life. I, I, I need more than seven times. I need a lot more than seven times. But I'm gonna keep doing that. Starts with me. But why does it start with me? Because there's a moral imperative and there's a spiritual imperative for us to pay it forward, to not give up on anybody until every relationship is healed. Or we've tried. So I've been doing this thing where every week I'm trying to figure out who I most need to forgive. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's somebody I've forgotten. Somebody, it's somebody I just did wrong. And do something about it. Because don't we want to be a people that when people see us, when people witness us, what we believe is what we do. May it be so.